I want to speak to you about what it means to have apostolic spirituality. And I felt particularly sort of revived into this word when um, the prayer occurred and I was really reflecting on how revival is sometimes used synonymously with the word reformation. Uh, and how many sections of the church and uh, perhaps streams of the evangelical church, if you will, and other parts perhaps, may understand revival one way or several ways, but sometimes leave out the piece about reformation. I loved the prayer points because today, because what I felt like we were praying into was something more holistic. Um, and that revival is absolutely critical and necessary. Uh, and sometimes a precursor, the stirring of the Lord, the awakening of the Holy Spirit afresh. Not that the Holy Spirit isn't awake and, and doing and moving in our lives. But there comes a time when there needs to be uh, a special appointment, a special pouring out of the Spirit in our lives and in our communities, in our neighborhoods and wherever we are. And that revival is the, the generator, the dynamic that jump starts us into our next place and our next level. But what sustains it is the spirit of reformation. Reformation needs revival to awaken it and to awaken the hearts and the souls of people and to cause people to long for God and to seek after God, to intensify and raise the level of our pursuit after God. Hallelujah. But reformation takes it to another level. So often we get stuck at the revival level. So often we get stuck in a place where we're seeking for a move of God. We're seeking a move of God, but we're not understanding that God wants to take it to another place and another dimension. So I want to talk to you about that apostolic spirituality that births the spirit of the reformer. And God, we just bless this word today, cause us to hear the way you want us to hear. Remove from our eyes and from our ears things that block and hinder. And God, even in this room, Lord, we pray against distractions and the free release of your word that we will be people who are hungry for your word and are at attention, looking and longing to hear from you in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. So the challenge that we have in this hour is to know what time it is and to live understanding these times that we live in. It is easy for us to often get stuck at a particular level, even when that level of spirituality may seem good. But if we stay too long in one place of living out our faith and functioning and moving together as a church, we can get stuck and stagnant in that place, even though it may feel good. And even though it, we may feel as if we are ahead of the curve, we look around to the left and to the right and we're like, well, no one is praying the way we're praying. No one is fasting the way we are fasting. 
No one is going, taking it to the streets like we are. And sometimes we get comfortable in our identity as a congregation. When the Holy Spirit, and I would even go further to say the mandate of the kingdom is growth at the next level. And God is always challenging us to change, always stretching us beyond where we have been. When we think of spirituality, we're thinking about, uh, oftentimes we're thinking about an inner experience that we have in faith and with God. And it certainly is that. Because spirituality speaks to who we are at the core of our being and how our spirit begins to take hold of the Holy Spirit in us. The Bible tells us that if the same spirit that raises Christ from the dead dwells in you, that spirit quickens your mortal body. So we understand from that passage of scripture that there is my spirit that God will touch and cause to come alive through salvation, but the Holy Spirit comes in to reside and dwells within my spirit. So I never stop having my spirit. And it is possible for my spirit to act in discord to the Holy Spirit. It ought not to be so for those of us who are pursuing a radical spirituality, but oftentimes we struggle And the struggle is often in the flesh. But the passage tells us that if the Spirit comes to dwell, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within my spirit, uh, then I've got the Spirit of Christ inside of me. And that has the capacity not just to brood and move inside of me, but to move outward, to quicken or awaken my mortal body, my tangible, my physical body. So that means that the impulses of my flesh can now be subject to the movement and the working of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to keep on in that addiction because the Holy Spirit can be, make me more than a conqueror and can overpower my natural inclinations and tendencies and cause my mortal body to opt for a different path. There are different choices I can make because the Holy Spirit resides within my spirit. So the spirituality of the church in this hour has got to begin from the inner being. It has got to reflect a lifestyle that is constantly appraising itself or oneself before the cross. In light of the redemptive work of salvation. We've got to be doing that work in our lives, not just for once, but throughout our lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to move and to work in us that process. But it is not an inner orientation only. We are called to do something beyond our inner contemplation, but to move forward and outward in action. For the kingdom of God. And oftentimes what we have in our church practices is a church that can do a lot of stuff behind its own four walls. So our inner disposition births in us and births among us a church that becomes inwardly focused only. So it's important for us to understand that when from God's perspective, when he looks at us, he's not necessarily seeing the dichotomy between the internal and the external world. He's understanding that when his spirit comes to transform us, he comes inside of us, but he always expects a movement to match and correspond in our outer lives. Glory to God. For us, sometimes it's not instantaneous, but it's always the direction and the movement of the spirit 
to cause what is being reflected on the inside to begin to translate into our actions in our everyday lives. So it becomes easier and easier for us to have joy and gladness in the midst of great despair. It becomes easier and easier for us to love and to be kind one to another. Not out of just charitable actions, but out of a deep inner radical spirituality. That was what the apostles in the early church possessed. When they turned their world upside down, they were not just people who were good at programs and plans and doing things. You've got some doers around you, people who always make things happen. But they were a mixed bunch and not many mighty, not many noble, but they turned their world upside down. Why? Because something on the inside kept moving them toward the outside to change and to transform their world. That's why we're called the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called out of our darkness into the marvelous light of God. But we're also called to show forth the praises of the living God. So there's always that movement toward the cross, but there's also a movement from the cross to the world. I wanna challenge this church today that God is calling you to a radical apostolic spirituality. A radical apostolic spirituality. I want you to listen in a little bit. God is calling us in this time to release the supernatural at a greater level. He is calling us to engage realms of revelation and also engage sectors of society to engage and discover first what our places of influence might be. He is calling us to advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. He's called us to understand that we have been given keys to the kingdom. That we cannot live our lives under siege, the siege of the enemy. We cannot allow ourselves to become and held hostage by satanic forces. We are living in times where much is required from the church. We need a voice. We need the church to arise and to speak to the issues of the day. But so often, we are self-protecting. We are remaining hidden. We are staying in our safe zones. We live in uh, a region that calls us to be intellectually astute. But for some of us, that intellectual rigor and engagement has silenced us because We've learned how to question everything. We've learned how to evaluate everything. But we have not understood what God is calling us to. To speak forth and to open our mouths and to be a voice in this hour. We've allowed the philosophies and the ideologies of this world and this time to begin to override the simple truth of the word of God. The world and even aspects of the church, they are deconstructing the word of God, the authority of the Bible, whether it is truth or fiction. And in fact, some of us 
and perhaps it depends on what generation you belong to, doubt whether any truth exists. Question whether there is anything that you can build your hope on and put, place your trust in. Because everything seems like shifting sand. Everything seems like it is up for my own evaluation. Everything's relative. Truth is in my hands. There is something to be said for the phrase that says, own or speak your truth. But let's not carry that too far as a believing body of people. Are you with me? Because we need to understand that I don't own or possess the right to call truth my own. Because God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am my truth. Or a truth. Or an aspect of the truth. But he says, I am the truth. The life. And see, those things come right up against the culture of this age. So when you say that you believe and put your faith in Christ and want to pursue a radical spirituality, you are saying, I believe that there is an absolute truth. I believe that Jesus is the holder and the embodiment of the truth. And that, my friends, today is a radical message. But it is one we must reclaim. And we must believe it if we are to believe in the word of God. If we are to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That's why the cross and the resurrection and the whole Christ event and the Christ act are so important for us. We can't believe just one aspect of it. But we've got to carry through the narrative of Jesus coming to this earth from the, his splendor in heaven, coming in the flesh as a man and walking this earth, dying on a cross, being raised from the cross and ascending to be seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the radical story we believe. Can I get an amen out there? How many of you believe that story today? Hallelujah. Underground says, no, it's not just a story, but reality. And that's what we believe. See, our spirituality has to be centered and rooted in something powerful and something that has foundation. It can't just be a feel-good experience. I don't come to church for a social experience only. I don't come to church because, wow, I just love how this worship team sings, and I do. I just love the worship at PT. Praise God for the worship junkies in this hour. But it, there is more to it than that, folks. If you're going to walk this walk and talk this talk, if you're going to live this life, you're going to have to have something more than that to sustain you. Because when the punishing blows of the enemy comes up against you, you need to know who you believe in and be fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which you have committed unto him against that day. This is the time for a radical apostolic spirituality to awaken in God's people and for us to not just come to church and come to the four walls of this place and this edifice and have a feel-good experience and leave with our doubts and our questions and leave with our unbelief and leave not knowing if Jesus is real. But this is the time to access revelation. Jesus is the re revelator. He is the one who reveals that which has been hidden in the supernatural realm. He said to his disciples when they asked him and said, My master, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he says, I speak to them in parables because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Oh, you didn't get that. 
See, we need to, these days what we do is we're preaching to church folks in parables. We need stories with meaning so they can grasp it because the spirit of revelation is dormant in their hearts. But if we understand the power of the spirit in us, we can move on to access the supernatural realm and to unfold and unlock the secrets and the mysteries of God. These parables are wonderful. Thank God for them. They're great evangelistic tools. They're great for babes in Christ, but there comes a point where we need to move from drinking milk to moving on to meat, strong meat, taking on the doctrines of the faith and wrestling and contending until we understand what it is that we believe. Come on, somebody. We need to be people who can break through in areas of understanding the knowledge of God. Wisdom and understanding. I love the book of Daniel. I love Daniel in his simplicity as a young man in the midst of a foreign nation. He was there and he was brought to be indoctrinated. He was being trained in the Babylonian mentality, the Babylonian ways. Right away, he says, you know what? We can't eat this meat. We can't eat this food like, like we're just regular folk. He understood that. It takes courage and boldness to refrain from what the rest of the world is doing. Most of us only know how to absorb and to, to go along with the flow. Hallelujah. I know there's a trendy kind of Christianity that says you don't need to look and talk like a Christian to be saved. And I get it. I mean, I understand that you don't have to walk down the street and, and speak in tongues. I get that. That would be foolish in most instances. I get that we need to be in this world, though we are not of this world. But I think we have taken it a bit too far. We've taken it a bit too far to look and act like the world where we no longer know where the boundary lines are. We no longer know where we need to draw the line. Where is the old landmark? Where is the ancient path? Sometimes we need to scale back to the ancient path. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not talking legalism or tradition. I'm speaking about losing our potency in the world because we have co-opted. The world has co-opted our mentality and has bought our spirituality and has caused us to be lured and seduced. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, I, let me talk to you millennials. I don't know if you know who you are, but you're out there somewhere. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thank God for you. There's a lot that we can learn from you. There is a lot that you can teach to the generations ahead of you. About transparency of living and faith and a genuineness and, and an ability to confront your pains and your hurts and your issues of life. There's a lot that we can learn about your plain speech. But I challenge you that as believers, you still have a mandate to be the kingdom of God here on this earth. Don't forget it. Even when you're up at that Beyonce concert, you need to remember that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. See, back in the old days, they'll tell you not to go to the Beyonce concert. But I'm not going to preach that legalism on you. But I'm going to tell you that there are boundary lines. There are things that can talk to your spirituality before you even know it. The world can get its tentacles inside of you and you don't even know what's happening. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. See, I can say this because I've been counseling and speaking to the young folk and sometimes I don't even know what to say. They come to me and I appreciate that and say, this is what I'm faced with. This is what I'm challenged with. And I feel compassion and I identify and I relate with something. But sometimes I just have to say, you know, 
Others can, but you can't. See, when you decided to follow Jesus, you said goodbye to the things of this world. You said goodbye to the systems of this world. You said goodbye to the lure and the attraction of the world. And sometimes you need to come back to that decisive moment. Hallelujah. You need to scale back your affections, your interests, your desires. You need to do that inner appraisal of your soul before the Lord and say, God, it's not the concert, but what is it that's coming between you and me? Where am I before you? See, we've become enculturated and numbed. And when you are numbed, you no longer hear the voice of God clearly. Hallelujah. Things are foggy in the spirit. The worst thing is, you know, it's actually better to know that you're in a fog than not to know that you're in a fog at all. It's a better place to be, no matter how frustrating it might seem to you, when you're in a place where you're, Lord, I can't hear your voice. I can't. Where are you, God? Oh, God, I'm not hearing you clearly. That's a better place to be than to be in a place where, you know, I, I just serve the Lord. I go to Pentecostal Tabernacle Church. Hallelujah. God just using me all around, and, you know, I'm just out there doing stuff, and, and you don't know that your life is in a desert or you're in a barren place. You don't know it. You don't know that you can't hear his voice. You don't know that he's trying to speak to you to tell you to turn because your life uh, has become numbed and dulled to the things of the supernatural, the things of the spirit. If we are indeed to be world changers, if we are indeed to break past arenas and sectors of society, we need to understand how to access the power of the Spirit. Isaiah 10, 27. Some of you said, well, she didn't read it. I've been quoting scripture, y'all. Save yourself. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden, Isaiah 10, 27, that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Hallelujah. Anointing is one of those words that you can't pretty it up for your friends out there. I just, you know, it's, it just, it just looks churchy. See, I got the anointing. Either that, or it seems imperialistic. Right? So you, people are going to put you in one category or the other. So don't, don't try it out there if you, you're not ready for the, the response. But see, that's the very thing, the power of the Spirit, like oil, the anointing of God in and upon our lives is what will give us the strength and the capacity to break the yokes of bondage that come our way. The enemy wants to encroach upon our souls. He wants to encroach upon our lives. And he does it. Because we don't understand how to access the anointing of God. But the Lord promises his people that the burden will be taken away from your shoulder. Shoulder speaks of government and rulership. So the church's impact and effect has been stifled or is stifled whenever there is a burden upon its shoulder and a yoke around its neck. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, 35, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Wow. That's awesome stuff. We walk in the flesh, but our warfare is not after the flesh. It is in the spirit. So if we do not have a radical spirituality, we cannot war in the spirit. We can only do work in the flesh. And that will not cut the cake. We're using the wrong tools to deal with the warfare. When we understand that the things that we're coming up against, the blockages in our lives, the places where we feel like we've been locked in prison, in strangleholds, the limitations that we feel, the labelings that have been put on you, the hardships that you've experienced. Come on, somebody. When we understand where the warfare is coming from, we can now understand how to access the spirit. See, if we've already been living in the spirit and abiding in the spirit and moving into increasing and progressive levels in the spirit, we don't have to wrestle or struggle with this thing. But we walk as one who can break through barriers. The weapons are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself. And so understanding where our greatest battles lie. Most of us, it's having a supernatural mentality that really causes us, uh, we're locked. we don't know how to walk in the spirit. We don't know how to think in the spirit. Listen, in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual walk, you're gonna face mental, psychological, and emotional warfare. And it doesn't get less. The warfare actually intensifies and it gets even more complex as you move along. Because the enemy keeps trying to attack us with greater levels of armament. Oh, come on, sir. A lot of us won't want to admit the level and the degree of psychological warfare we've experienced. Ah, how our minds come under the attack of the enemy. Nobody wants to be seen as something's wrong with them mentally. But listen, we all struggle and wrestle right up here in our minds to gain the victory. If I can only gain the victory in my mind, in my understanding, then I can live it out as a bodily experience. I can live it out as a physical reality. I can live it out in my everyday existence. But listen, when the truth begins to be skewed in my mind, and the enemy has a way he knows how to bring to you things that seem like truth. He takes facts from our lives. And he says, well, didn't you? He did that in the garden, didn't he? He says, didn't God say, if you eat, of, didn't God say, aren't you? You know, Gideon, when God spoke to him and he was hiding behind the wine press, Gideon in the Old Testament, he was hiding, he, 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 he was fearful. He had no courage, he was a coward. He had a low self-concept. He was insecure. God calls insecure people. God calls people with inferiority complexes. God calls people who feel like they're nothing. He does not just call the boldest and the brightest. Gideon was like, do you know I'm nothing? I'm the least. And God says, you're a mighty man of power. Yes, yes. God was inserting into his concepts. Hallelujah. The truth 
of the kingdom of God. Who we are in Christ is the reality we must understand, not the things that I've done. We must own and recognize the things that we have done. We must confess our sins. We must repent from our wicked ways. Hallelujah. But the Lord says he alone reserves the right to mark and shape our identity. Come on, somebody. So God says you need to be able to walk in the spirit. You need to be able to war in the spirit. You need to be able to access the supernatural realm, not like it's a special occasion occurrence, but this is your living reality. Hallelujah. For the things that are spiritual are more real than the things that are natural. Come on. God ministers to us in the spiritual realm. He unlocks his revelation, his mysteries in the spiritual realm. But if we are not a people who can access that kind of power, we will not be able to move beyond where we are, to touch and to reach the world. There are oppressive burdens in our world today. There is a satanic power unleashed in our world today. And 2 Corinthians tells us what it is. It's a spirit of deception. It's a spirit that convolutes ideas, creates its own philosophies, and presents it to you in a convincing way. It's believable. Hallelujah. And if we are not careful, the Bible says that in that last day, it would be even difficult for the elect to be saved. We're facing that right now in this election year. Because as believers, so many of us are in a quandary when we've placed our hope and our trust in a party. And when we are in a place where the parties don't seem to bear out our values of the kingdom, what then do we do? We need a supernatural mentality to discern and to decipher and to move through all of the complexities that we're faced with. God can simplify it for you and for you and for me. For for us to understand that as believers, how we must move, how we must live, how we must act in this hour. And ultimately, even though we engage the systems of this world, our source is from heaven. Don't forget your ambassadorial calling. Don't forget your apostolic spirituality. Don't forget that we've been sent here on assignments, that we are ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. We have a purpose and a commission entrusted to us. And that is why we cannot live our lives haphazardly. We cannot live our lives like we are just any old person. Because we've got a high level assignment. Hallelujah. We cannot become seduced by thirsting after the American dream. The Bible teaches us when riches increase, set not your heart upon them. But it is God, it says in another place, that gives you the power to produce wealth. So God's not afraid of you being a wealth producer. He wants to ensure that it comes from him and that you understand that it's been entrusted to you. You are a steward of it. It is not yours. It's the Lord's. And God has given it to you for a purpose. Hallelujah. That our whole lives are lived with that purpose and that focus. 
I'm calling you back to apostolic alignment today because oftentimes we live our lives and we're off kilter. We are not on target and we wonder why it is that we seem to keep coming up short and we're missing the mark. Fulfillment is not in the things gained. Fulfillment is not in the acquisition of resources and wealth. Fulfillment is in be by being in the center of God's will and God's purpose. And that means my heart strings are in alignment with him. Oh, how many of you have experienced moments where you can't say that it was your wealthiest day? You can't say everything was going perfectly around you. There might have been scarcity in this area and challenges in that area, but your soul was anchored in God. And there was such a peace in that place. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. These are the intangibles of our faith. These are the things that we cannot let go or lose sight of that give our lives bearing and anchor our souls in the midst of the storm and the midst of the adversity. We can trust in God. That's why the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, the Apostle Paul was learned. He had influence. He could write well. If he wanted to make a lot of money, he could, because he was very marketable. But he lived his life for a cause. And he lived his life fulfilled in that cause. He says, I've been obedient to the heavenly vision. Listen, there's nothing like living your life centered before God. Passionate about what he's passionate about. Hallelujah. You, you, you take care of everything else better when you're centered in God's will. You know how to love your family better. You know how to work at your job better because you're not waking up in the morning and say, oh gosh, I gotta go to this place, this wretched place again. Oh, come on somebody. But you see this as your ambassadorial assignment. Have you seen the, the movie, The Giver? How many of you have seen The Giver? Wow, like three people. Okay. I think it's awesome. You know, they've invented this society that's, that, that, that seems to be pristine and it, everything is about equality. All the houses look the same. Nobody could rise above the other. There's no, very little, some hierarchy, but there's very little hierarchy. Everybody is sort of the same. Emotions are contained. People keep certain things in check. And then there comes a point when the kids who are all schooled together get their assignments. You're going to be the dishwasher. Thank you very much. They tell you, it's fascinating, you know. You're going to be the bike rider. You're going to be the, you know, and it's just handing out assignments. Now, we, we don't quite live in that society. We have the power of choice, it may seem. But in reality, we're a little bit like the giver. Because as kingdom ambassadors, we need to understand that we're here on a missions outpost. We need to reinterpret our metaphors, the ones that we use for our faith. And understand this is not just, hey, I'm just living my life, fulfilling my life, living my life to the fullest. Nice. But that's not necessarily the strongest kingdom metaphor. It is living your life for the cause of Christ, to the glory of God. Amen? And when you understand that every assignment you've been given, temporary or something that is long-term, is an assignment, you reframe the narrative, you reinterpret your experience around it, and you begin to seek God, spirituality, you begin to seek God for his purpose, his direction, his understanding. How do I manifest the kingdom of God here? How do I release the fruit of the Spirit in this place? then God can begin to elevate you into higher and higher dimensions. When he has trusted and tested you, 
Then God can teach his church how to produce strategies for nations. We can't be nation builders if we cannot be builders in our families, if we cannot be builders in our communities, if we cannot first learn to be builders in our city. But God is saying, the, the trials, the trying of your faith, uh, uh, the testings uh, and the adversities, uh, though they come at you strong, they're intended to produce in you a greater spirituality, a greater strength, uh, a greater power, a greater resilience, uh, a greater force. That Satan will not be able to limit God's agenda in your life. I'm going to close with this. One of the things that we need to recognize about this age and this day is that there are posers to the spirit or posers to the anointing. That you're going to come up against. When Christ was speaking about the last day, he spoke about it in Mark. And we see in Matthew's gospel, it's spoken about as well. He talks about all of these things that are going to happen. Wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be dissensions. Father and children in, in, at odds. There's going to be famine and distresses. He speaks of these things. But he bookends the passage. And he says, he talks about the spirit of deception or false prophets. And the Lord keeps telling me to say this word, especially in New England, that beware of the opposers of the anointing. They recognize the anointing in you even when you don't recognize the anointing in you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. And so you need to understand that there is opposition coming up against you. That's what the Antichrist is. Anti-oppose against Christ. Anointing, Christo, anointing. Against the anointing. Against the spirit of Christ that's in you. And so we need to understand that when we are ambassadors, when we set up our missions outpost, that we must be fully equipped to face the opposition that will come up against us. When you put up this edifice here, when you, when you, you purchased this building and, and Pentecostal Tabernacle came to this beautiful structure, it was not just to fill it with more people. But the enemy was served notice also that there is greater potential for impact. That means that greater opposition comes our way. And it's the same in our individual and personal lives. We need to begin to understand that even our personal struggles, our individual conflicts, our marital breakdowns. We need to recognize who's at the, the heart of this thing. Glory to God. I'm not just saying that things can be easily resolved with one quick platitude and one quick word. But sometimes recognizing what's at work helps us to pray more effectively. Helps us to stay in the race with greater hope. Because if you understand, oh, this is a trick of the enemy, and the enemy is coming up against me, I'm not going to co-sign with the enemy. I'm not going to co-partner with the enemy. Hallelujah. But I'm going to rise with a radical spirituality and be more for God than I ever could be. It, there is a cost. There is a sacrifice when you're coming up against opposers of the anointing. You cannot choose to live your life casually. You cannot choose to live your life like you are just anybody. I heard a preacher preach a message and says, why? Because you're chosen. You are chosen. 
You are the elect. You are the redeemed of the Lord, bought with a price. And so I challenge each and every one of you today. There is more that God wants from you. And some of your patterns and your rituals, which were good in the past, it got you to this point in your walk in Christ, will not be enough to take you to the next place in God. And God is calling for you to press in more. He's calling for you to stir up in yourself a, a hunger and a longing and a desire. And if you're not able to stir it up, learn to pray the prayer. God, will you stir it up in me? Because it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God will give you the will to do it if you want him to give you the will to do it. That there is more that this church, this congregation, you as a people, you as individuals, you as families and couples, you as college students. There is more that God has for you. And the Lord has not called you to settle in the shadows or in the background. But he's called you to press into greater things. Just as the apostles in scripture, they did not regard their lives even unto I'm not saying that we're all there yet, but we need to be on the road toward a sold out life to God. Where God, when he uses you, it's not just because you have ability, but because you have been through the process of God's refinement. You can be a reformer. You can sustain the revival. You can plant foundations in places. You can anchor the lives of others because there's so much coming out of your life.